Hi, this is Pastor Corey. I hope this podcast will encourage you, strengthen your faith, and most importantly, help you draw closer to Jesus. Thank you for listening. Welcome, everybody. How many know we're in a spiritual battle? That probably wasn't good enough. We are in a spiritual battle. I want you to understand that this morning, that there's a great spiritual battle that's that's taken place upon the earth. It's been going on since the beginning of time. We do know that, that since Adam and Eve, that Satan has come to divide and to conquer. That was his goal, his campaign against God's chosen people, the nation of Israel, never quit, and it still doesn't quit today. The transition into the church, Jesus himself would say, the thief comes not, but to steal, kill, and destroy. I'm not somebody who blames the devil for everything. We have a flesh. We have temptation. But in the big picture, it is him. We have to recognize that. We've been in this series in Revelation chapter 12, verse 11, and the whole idea is about a battle, a spiritual battle. But I think we need to sometimes bring that into present day and recognize where the battle is going on around us. You face a battle right now. When I've talked about for the last few weeks how he was disarmed by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So the devil really only has three weapons, to lie to you, to cause fear in your life, and to bring accusations up. And I want you to ask yourself right now, is there any place in your life with any relationships or anything that's going on where you think lying could be taking place? Is there any place in your life right now where you feel like you've been accused or you're being accused or quite possibly you have an accusation against somebody else? Is there anything in your life right now that fear is being stirred up inside of you? What's, what's this going to turn out like? What's, go, what's going to happen here? See, the enemy will try to come in and use that lying, that fear, and, and those accusations to bring division into people's lives. Why? That's the destruction. To steal, to cause loss, to kill people. I can see it all over the place in people's lives. I even think about in the big picture of the pandemic and and people passing away. The three lives we lost this last fall in our church, people in our community just recently. Thank God for Craig Shorey. If y'all, I know he don't want to be recognized, he'll probably preach about it someday from the pulpit in the future. But he's sitting here with us for the first time in over a month this morning because he was on his deathbed. I think about people's marriages who are struggling, some that have separated, and the idea that we think it's a person's fault or it's the other side or we want to pass blame and we want to add to the accusations, and yet in reality, there is a spiritual battle, and that is the devil's goal is to destroy families. I think about division in friendships and uh, amongst brothers and sisters. I think about amongst the church and what is the devil's one sole purpose to weaken? It's to, to bring the lies, the accusations in order to divide, to weaken things in life. The foundational things and not just foundational things of society, but the foundational aspects of Christianity, of who we are. Right now, with whatever is going on in your life, in your mind, when when I ask you to think about where you think lion's taking place or there's accusations or there's fear that's taking place, I want you to recognize that's not just a person on the other side. That's a spiritual battle in your life. And are you fighting it spiritually? Spiritually. How much time do we, do we spend in God's word? How much time do we spend praying for the situation or for all of the people involved? How much time do we spend 
giving blessings to those who may curse us? How much time do we put into declaring God's word over a situation or an individual? How much time do we put into the spiritual battle of life? We are in a spiritual battle. And I think that most Christians understand that in the big picture, but what we don't do is make it personal. The devil wants to ruin you. He wants to destroy you. I mean, get ticked off about that. Be mad about it. When he comes into your life and he's trying to destroy your family, get ticked at the devil. It's okay to get mad at him. Jesus had a righteous anger. Get mad at the situation that you're going through in, in your marriage or in, in relationships or the, any aspect of life where you see this taking place. Get mad. Get mad at the right person. That's the devil. Not flesh and blood. We don't battle flesh and blood. We are in a spiritual battle. And you would do yourself a favor to make it personal, because if you don't, he will. Contrary to what some churches that want to tickle your ears, contrary to what they will tell you, it's not going to get better. It may get better temporarily, but in the big picture, we started this whole series back in the beginning talking about the ten virgins and the ones that were prepared and the ones that were unprepared. We looked at, in the next sermon, what it would look like to be prepared, and we read through Matthew chapter 24. And it doesn't get better. It doesn't get any easier. We're in a battle. And then when you're in the verses that we've been in for the last couple of times that I've preached to Revelation chapter 12, verses 10 through 11, you can look at the end of those in verse 12. Let me read that to you and see if this sounds like it's going to get better. He says, therefore rejoice. The apostle John has this great revelation from the Lord, right? He's taken up into the heavens and he writes these words. Therefore rejoice. That sounds like a great thing, right? Come on, say rejoice, rejoice, like there should be some joy. He says, rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth. Like when you're reading that, yeah, rejoice, rejoice. Wait, wait if, if you're in heaven right now, rejoice. But the apostle John would write these words that is, as time nears its end, it's it's going to be a woe to those who are still on the earth. Be happy you're in heaven and you're not down there. The seal, the inhabitants of the earth and the, and the sea, sorry, that's old age eyes. I see an exclamation point as an L. When bought glasses at Costco yesterday, they said, you want bifocals? Absolutely not. And that's why I just read seal and not see. For the devil, listen. For the devil has come to you. Who's he talking to? The inhabitants of the earth. The devil has come to you. Having great wrath. Not just wrath, but great wrath. Because he knows that he has a short time. Uh, I, I've probably said this for the last three times that I preached all these scriptures. I don't want to have to say it every single time. So I'm probably going to say it one more time and maybe one more time after that. I know that there's many a people who believe that this is referencing the tribulation. Whether, whether I believe that it's referencing the tribulation or not, it's still relevant. All of a sudden, one day, the devil doesn't wake up and say, oh, verse 12 has to be fulfilled. It's going to be great wrath now and not just a little bit of wrath. 
I believe that even as we're approaching the tribulation, that the wrath of the devil upon the earth is going to know that his time is short and it will be increasing and increasing and increasing and increasing. And by the time we get to whether we believe it's the tribulation or not, it will be great. The devil is against you and it's not going to get better. You're in a spiritual battle and so are you prepared and fighting to make it through that battle? Not just to make it through it, but to know that you can be victorious in it. You've heard me talk about it before. Not, not to just back this up, but the last couple years in our church, in my life, but I want you to know that it's in the big church in general have been some of the toughest years pastors who are preaching right now say in recent generations. Generations. I don't know if I mentioned this before. I had a pastor call me a week ago, two weeks ago. And I haven't heard from him in 10 years. He used to pastor here. He moved away, called me up and asked me how things are going. He called me to pray for me and bless me. Then I asked him how his, things are going for him. And he's on the verge of resigning because in all of his years of pastoring, it's the worst two years that he's ever pastored. He doesn't have a small church. He has a fairly, uh, a much larger church than ours. And it's just been a struggle. And, and he's not the only one, but coincidentally, the other night I couldn't sleep. I don't know if you guys have nights like that. And so I go to bed, and I want to sleep, but I cannot shut down. And so I decided, instead of read on my phone, because sometimes I'll just start reading on my phone, and then my wife rolls over and is like, you shouldn't be on your phone. All right. <laughs> she tries to keep me straight. But I'll, I'll read the news, I'll read National Geographic, I'll read whatever in the middle of the night. And, uh, and so this time I thought, you know what, I'm just going to listen to a sermon. So I picked a, one of my favorite pastors that I haven't listened to probably over the last couple of years. And uh, someone that I, I've always admired his ministry. Uh, he's a well-known, popular pastor. And so it's one of the first things that popped up on my YouTube feed. And it was from last week. And so I put my earbuds in. And I think, I'll just go to sleep to his preaching. So it wasn't like Stephen Furtick or anybody like that. This is somebody I, I could go to sleep to his voice. And so in the very beginning of his sermon, I heard him say, the last two years have been the most difficult years of my life. And this is a 70-year-old, fifth-generation pastor who has endured his share of trials while he's pastored. He has endured persecution, not necessarily from the world, but a tremendous amount from the church itself. And I don't say that because I want you to think about pastors. Yes, this is Pastor Appreciation Month, and I, I hope that we would honor and recognize, as God work, God's Word tells us to, to lift those up who oversee us, who, who preach and teach to us. Yes, there's an aspect to that, but in the big picture, I want you to understand what you see and experience is being seen and experienced in churches all around the world. You may not see it on YouTube, you may not see it on their TV show, but when a pastor's in private talking to brothers that he trusts, from almost everyone I've talked to, that's what they share. And I don't know if it's a season in our world. I don't know if it's a season in the church, but I also don't know if it's the season. It could be a season, but it could be the season. I don't know if you understand what I'm talking about. But the greatest lesson that we can learn 
through studying these verses that we've been going through is that Christians don't become, but they are meant to be overcomers. Like we have already been made an overcomer. You've already won. The Bible says that you are more than a conqueror. The big question is, do you live that out in your life? Revelation 12.10, again, the verses we've been studying. The apostle John says, I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. Now, some would say this is at the return of Jesus, and others argue that this is at the resurrection of Jesus. I fall on the side of it being at the resurrection of Jesus, but even if it's at the return of Jesus, might I say again that in everything that is described here, we should see at least some aspects of this already taking place upon the earth and through Christians' lives. Salvation. Strength, the kingdom of God being advanced in the power of Christ within people. This isn't just some odd list of Christianese that you'll only hear in a church, but this is the description of a lifestyle. A lifestyle that is available to those who have accepted Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. A lifestyle that should be developing, being experienced, being enjoyed and reflected to the world around us. Maverick City Music, they have this song that I was listening to the other night when I was writing my sermon. It says, freedom looks good on you. If you've been set free, the world should be able to look at you and think, wow, freedom looks good on you. Freedom looks good on you. I don't want to point a finger at somebody else, but how many know that you can look around any group of Christians and think, wow, freedom doesn't look so good on that person. And maybe it's depending on their circumstances. Maybe it's just that They haven't got over the fact that they're pessimistic and they need to learn to be a little more optimistic because they have a God who died on the throne for them and a power of God that is greater than anything that is in this world and that they are overcomers in life. Maybe there's there's not a growth to that point yet, but freedom should look good on you and I. No matter what we're going through, it's the reward of overcomers. I think half of the spiritual battle that we go through in life really is being able to live this out. And this wasn't really meant to be the part of my sermon today, but I'm going to make it part of my sermon. Like, like we are fighting this spiritual battle, and sometimes it's just to hang on, to hang on to our marriage, to hang on to our friendships, to hang on to a church family, to, to hang on to our sons, and to hang on to our daughters. But really, the spiritual battle that we should be fighting as people who have already won is that we are able to make sure that freedom looks good on us. That we are living a lifestyle where we see and the world sees salvation has taken place in our life. We have been set free. That we have been made strong. That we are doing something for the kingdom of God that reflects his glory in our life. And that people see the power of Christ inside of each one of us. If we're going to fight for something, we should be fighting to live for the reward that he wanted to give us when he was resurrected. I think about go back to the Old Testament. Like, what do these guys have to live for? You can look at Romans chapter 5, and of course they had something to live for. I'm not saying that they didn't. But even in that whole chapter, it will tell you how much more do you people post-resurrection have available to you that your lives should be even greater than any one of them Old Testament characters that you've read about. 
And I think about Daniel chapter 3. This came to my mind. I could be all over the place today. Daniel chapter 3, you have Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? We preached through the book of Daniel last year at the, in, in 2020 going through the coronavirus so we could see how you respond when there's a world against you and it's not to necessarily stand up with a bullhorn and fight back obnoxiously. But there's, there's a golden idol they're supposed to bow down to. And because it goes directly against their faith, they will not bow down. Because they weren't just some nobodies out in the kingdom that nobody knew what their faith was, but because their faith shined forth, people's eyes were upon them in those challenging times. And so it was recognized right away as soon as the decree was passed and they would not bow down, that they were arrested and brought to the king. And the king said to them, if you don't, don't bow down, here's what's going to happen to you, that you're going to be thrown in the fiery furnace. It's a death sentence for you. And they, you know what I love is that you know, they had the faith to be able to say in the midst of what might be a fearful situation is that our God will rescue us from the fiery furnace. Do whatever you want to us. We believe that our God will rescue us. That's a bold statement. When the rest of the world is going the other way and you're able to stop and say, no, my God's going to rescue me. And even if he doesn't, I will not bow down to your gods. Even if it doesn't turn out like I believe it will. Even if it doesn't turn out like my faith tells me it should. Even if it doesn't turn out like I feel like it will. Even if it doesn't turn out for what I think would be a victory, even if it doesn't turn out what I think would be for the glory of God to draw people unto him that we would be miraculously, even if it doesn't turn out, you know what? I believe enough that despite the circumstances from this moment forward that I'm not bowing to your gods. Put me to death, doesn't matter. And so what happens? They get bound, it says. Bound. Bound by their circumstances. They may be questioning. We don't know if that was a binding that took place immediately. We don't know how long it took to get that fiery furnace seven times hotter. We don't know if it was overnight, if it was one day. We don't know the moment from their words of strong faith to the moment they would face their consequences, how long it was and what those circumstances were. But I imagine it wasn't 60 seconds later. They had to go through some time. They had to consider their thoughts. They had to consider the words that they had already spoken. They were bound, it says, when they were thrown into the fiery furnace. So hot that even in the moment it was opened, the guys that opened the door died. In that moment, what's going through their head? Is there still a place where they're full of faith or they have fear? I don't know what they went through. But I believe that they were so strong in, in, in what they believed about their God is that it did not matter. They might be like, whoa. At least it's going to be quick if it happens. They get thrown in the fiery furnace. The consequences of standing up for what they believe. And then it says Nebuchadnezzar looked inside of there. He's like, wasn't there just three guys that we put in there? But there's a fourth. Now, wait a minute. They were bound. But now, they're free. There can still be freedom. Freedom. 
in the fire. I would imagine that Nebuchadnezzar looked inside of there, if you know the rest of the story, and he thought, freedom looks good on you. No matter the circumstances, these guys knew they were in a spiritual battle. But they still stood for what they believed, and they fought for their reward. I may go down in flames, but I'm going to go down looking good in the eyes of God. Salvation, strength, I put that on in the mirror this morning when I got up. The kingdom of God and the power of Christ. I put that coat on when I walk outside the door. Freedom should look good on you. The real battle that you face is not these little things over here. It is your ability to live out what Jesus Christ has already accomplished for you. Will you fight to look good for freedom? A rewarding lifestyle that we don't have to earn but it's given to each and every one of us. That's 26 minutes in, and that was page one. So if, uh, if you were here when we started this series, we asked the question, how do you prepare for a growing wrath? How do you keep from falling from your faith, all while experiencing, reflecting Christ's rewards? And we had one sermon called The Antidote. Verse 11, and they overcame him, Satan, by the blood of the lamb and the word of the testimony. They did not love their lives to the death. Three ingredients to the antidote. The blood of the lamb, the word of your testimony, and you do not love your life to the death. That means that you love Jesus Christ more than you love your own life. We overcome by the blood of the lamb. That's what we talked about last week. Not by our own sweat, blood, and tears, because we can't do it in our own efforts. We have to learn to trust, trust in what Jesus has already done through the shedding of his precious blood. We know we've, made been, we've been washed thoroughly and completely from sin, forgiven of our past, made righteous. And it says, this is the best part, we are now accepted by our beloved. Father God in heaven, he accepts us. Romans 5, 17, for if by one man's offense, that's Adam, if one man's offense, death reigned through the one, his one sin that caused sin to reign upon the earth, death to reign, much more, everybody say much more. Those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Now, I don't want to get caught up preaching this verse, but it is one of my favorite verses to read. When you think about what damage sin and death has brought upon the earth since the days of Adam and Eve until now, there's been a lot of sin and there's been a lot of death. But now how much more, how much more for those who have received the abundance of grace and the righteousness of Christ will we reign in life? In life, we're not talking about eternal life. We're talking about life right here on earth. You reign. That much more than the death that you've seen, Christians should be reigning. That, that reward that we've been given, that lifestyle that we should be walking in, what is given to those who are overcomers, like people should see us walking in that that much more than what sin and death is doing to the rest of the world. Like it should stick out like a sore thumb, but it should be a really big, beautiful thumb. So obvious because we've learned what it means to reign in life. Romans 5:17, let me read it to you from the Passion Translation. So there's a little bit of passion in what I say. Death once held us in its grip. And by the blunder of one man. Death reigned as king over humanity. But now, how much more are we, 
held in the grip of grace, and continue reigning as kings in life, enjoying our regal freedom through the gift of perfect righteousness and the one and only Jesus, the Messiah. Oh, but for the blood of the Lamb, we're held in the grip of grace. And as amazing as it is, it's only the first ingredient in the antidote, the first step of reigning in life. Verse 11, they overcame by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And the second ingredient in the antidote, the second step to reigning in life is that they overcome by their testimony. And this is where I want to focus for just the, the next 10 minutes, and then we're going to watch, we're going to watch a video. Uh, this is what I want us to drill down on today, and this is going to be the focus point for the next few weeks. This verse, they overcame by the word of their testimony. It starts with the blood of the lamb, and it should never leave the blood of the lamb. The ingredients are mixed together. But we should also recognize the many ways that we should overcome by the word of our testimony. And so what is a testimony? Let's just pause real quick because when you hear of the word testimony, the Christians defeated the devil by their testimony. Their testimony. Like, yes, we sing, we worship, we read the Bible, we pray, all aspects of spiritual warfare. But the real weapon to overcome the devil and defeat him, to defeat him, is our testimony. And I'm talking about a word that you'll only typically hear in church or a courtroom. In both cases, it's a story. In the case of a courtroom, obviously, it's, it's a story that might exclude the aspect of God. But in the church, it should never be, never be to the exclusion of our God. This is a story that has less to do with your ability and more to do with the ability of the story to inspire, the story to remind you, that encourages you, that refreshes you, that gives you the strength to keep keeping on. And no, I'm not talking about some mumbo-jumbo, self-help, new age, feel-good, Christian guru type stuff. You got to have a story. If you just tell your story, you'll feel really good about yourself. No. It's the story told when your test and God's amazing grace intersect. Your testimony is the story told of where your test and God's amazing grace have intersected. This isn't just a story about the grace of God in general. Yes, what Jesus did for mankind in general on the cross is amazing, beyond amazing. And yes, we know God is good all the time. This is his story. And it is the good news. But what I want to drive home here by what is said in this verse is that this also is something that Christians need to know for themselves. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like a bunch of Christians. Is that how the song goes? No, it's not. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like all the people on the earth. No, no, that, 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 we're not talking about a general amazing grace. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Corey, the recognition that that general grace wasn't just for what's out there, but for what's in here. He's good to me. And what he's done has to become a part of my story. And they overcame by the word of their testimony. Their testimony. I want to say everybody has a testimony. I want to show you, we're going to look at this video uh, of a testimony of a, I say a young man, uh, he's younger than me. His name's Eric, 
him and his family are new in our church. You may or may not have seen him because shortly after they moved here and started attending church, uh, he works at Amazon in Spokane, and his schedule changed to where he now has to work Sundays. His wife got a job where she has to work Sundays. So, so listen, here's the cool thing, though, when people understand the importance of connection to a family where they feel like this is their home, is, is he's gotten involved, and every week he helps serve in our youth ministry. And so there's still, him and his family are still very much a part of our church and praying his schedule changes and that they can join us again on Sundays because they were only here for probably a month or two. Uh, but he has a great testimony, and so let's look at his testimony. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren, who accused them before our God, day and night has been cast down and they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony and they did not love their lives to the death um as as i was growing up uh just just the things that i've gone through uh, not everybody has to go through everybody has their story but as a child it was completely traumatizing. I had, I was in and out of homes over between the time I was born to the time I was 12 years old. Uh, I had over 50 homes that I was living in. My mom was was a single parent. My dad was a verbal abusive alcoholic, and the state of Washington is like all four parents for moms, and she would lie about everything. So we were bouncing between aunts and uncles and cars and vehicles. Uh, even though we would say, hey, we're living at this particular spot. Um, and my dad picked me up at that particular spot every other weekend. You know, it just became something that we did. Uh, it was just like, you know, like, okay, we're going to go. It was like a sleepover. You know, at, at first it was younger, like younger years, like, okay, we're going to go auntie's house. I didn't think anything of it until I'm like, oh my gosh, we're, we're older and maturing, you know, seven, eight, nine. I'm like looking around like, why are, why are the other kids going to their homes and, and we don't really have a, a stable home? And over the course of these first 12 years of my life, I, I didn't serve God. I didn't know God. I didn't know who he was. And I got into a lot of trouble. I was in and out of games. I was, was just going down the wrong path to the point where I was in a conversation with a police officer. And the police officer said, you know, you have two options. You're going to either end up six feet in the ground or you're going to end up in the state penitentiary. And my choices were just, just internally, I was looking for identity. I didn't, I didn't know who I was. So my older brother was heavily involved in gangs and drugs and in and out of jail, bad lifestyle. So at the age of about seven or eight, he pulled me in to these gangs. And what I was doing is I was the, the mediator. So as a kid, it's, it's like this, okay, uh, they gave me the ability to communicate and co uh, coordinate with all these other gangs. So what I was doing is I was the message guy starting off, right? So they would give me a message. I would take it over to the other gang and say, hey, we're either going to do, we're going to have peace or war, right? Uh, and it ended up being, I was, this, I was this safe blanket for these gangs at a very young age. Well, when I started getting older, I didn't grow much. So... Uh, I was, you know, 11 and 12, and now I'm dealing drugs because none of the police officers are assuming this kid is, there's no way. So I have the ability to throw anything I want in my backpack. I have the leverage of doing anything I want. And it was just, it started off small, right? You just, all right, hey, you're sending a message to this person. Don't say anything about it. And then it started saying, all right, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to do five spots and 10 spots and do a little weed. And then before you know it, I was engulfed and, and just just living day to day. I would skip school almost all the time. Coming from like a little bit bigger city like Tri-Cities, man, there's a lot of things that just go under the radar that people have no idea what's going on. And getting looped into that, my mom was completely clueless. She didn't find out until my older brother got stabbed, which... She knew he was in and out of that scene, but she had no idea that her, her twin boys were rocking and rolling and dealing and, and, and tied into that entire scene. Um, and then with my older brother, there was a, 
there was a time when he got out of jail, super excited to see him. I was probably like 12, 13 years old, super excited to see him. I'm like, yeah, big brother. And he's like, oh man, cool. Let's, uh, let's go to the store. I'm going to buy you all these clothes. So he takes me and my twin brother to this Bass Pro Shop. So me and my brother are all decked out on gear. We have glasses on. We're all like ready to rock and roll. Big, big brother's going to take care of us. Um, little did they know that he was high on heroin. He had no idea what was going on. And as the altercation is taking place, I pick up on the fact that this is not going well. So I tell my, my, my twin brother, I said, start, start taking the stuff off. Like, this is not working. My brother pulls a knife and jumps over the counter of this guy. And they start wrestling. And he locks the door. So we're now we're locked in this building and in this store. And my, my twin brother bolts it to the bathroom. And he's in the fetal position just crying and rocking. And I'm watching this scene with my very eyes like, what do I do? And I just don't know how to respond. Uh, the police come and they end up giving him first and second degree uh, robbery and uh, actually attempt uh, attempted murder or something like that. It was very, very big charges. It ended up going on my, my twin brother's permanent record because he still had gear on him. So the police came, arrested my, my older brother. Uh, but then at the age of 12, uh, my older brother ended up getting stabbed. He ended up getting jumped by a gang and stabbed. And what happened was my mom made a decision to take me to church and say, we need to, we need to change some things. So I remember walking to the four walls of this church and just, you know, obviously just judging it and be like, this guy, what do these guys know? They don't know anything. But then just hearing the message of grace and the love of God for the first time, it hit me to the point where I've never experienced anything in my entire life. And I, I gave my life to the Lord at, at, at the age of 12. And I, re, I remember going back home and I, I stole my mom's Bible. She had this brown Bible with flowers all over it. And I grabbed it and I was like, God, if you were real, I'm going to read this thing and I'm going to just submit my life to you. And as I'm doing that, my mom comes in storming. Oh my gosh, I love you so much. I've been praying for years for you to get saved. So simultaneously, I just grab that Bible and I chuck it out of her face because I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just frustrated. I run out the door and I'm like, man. And God begins to tell me, what are you running for? You said, if this is real, then you're going to submit your life to this. So I remember going back home and saying, mom, I'm sorry. I don't know how I'm going to do this, but... Uh, I need to change my life. I need to completely change my life. And with a matter of a week, my mom picked us up and we moved to a completely new city. So now we're in a new city, new reputation, new everything. And what I recognized now that I didn't know back then, that it was by the grace of God helping me be mature in him and learning and transforming my mind and helping me overcome everything I I I I had and it was the the the, the cards that I was dealt as a child it empowered me to continue living and continue to, to just live this life. And even recently in these past couple of years, I've I've experienced trauma and our family has gone through a lot of losses. All I wanted for my kids and my family is to, to not have that 50, 50 home situation. So the past five years we've gone from being either evicted or things like that. And, and I've just said, okay, God, you've, if you can help me here, you can help me now. And, and every time I get this thing like, oh my gosh, I'm not, I'm worthless, or I'm a terrible father, or I'm a terrible husband, or any of those thoughts that are dumb, that we all have dumb thoughts, right? Uh, I'm, I'm reminded of how much God has taken me out of, and now I have hope that God is going to be there. He is my provider. He loves me. He cares for me. He's not going to leave me or forsake me. Uh, he's, he's there. He's present. But God is working. God is moving. And things can work out. He works things out for our good. Just want to draw a couple things about Eric at the very beginning said, said everyone has a story. He said this is his story, but everybody has a story. And of course, you know, we watched that when he first told me you can turn all the lights back on. I said to him, literally, I made him retell me some sections because to me, for a seven-year-old to be involved in a gang uh, through 12 years old seems unbelievable. 
And so I had him share some parts with me about his story again. And I just said, you know, to, to me growing up in a small town, like to hear your story, like uh, that's exaggerating. That, that's, that's unbelievable. And so he shared some things. Uh, coincidentally, this was over a week ago. I went home that night and I'm watching and, this, and some show was on while I was studying. Uh, and I didn't have the turn the TV to watch the show, but it was called I, I Was a Teenage Felon. And, uh, and this guy's telling the story how he got involved in gangs at seven years old. And so, you know, just listening to that story, that, that's his story. His story. But he said everybody has a story. Yes, it's amazing what God delivered him from at such a young age. Uh, but I wanted you to hear that to Eric, the grace of God is personal. It's personal. You know, we all don't realize, I think, sometimes that we do have a story. As Pastor Dave Roberts talked about a couple of weeks ago when he was here, uh, some people, you know what, yes, they have that wild and crazy story, and that's what gets put out in front of people all the time. But the truth is, uh, just as he had talked about in the story of the prodigal son, there's some people that are just the opposite. What they have is the story of the opposing brother, the older brother. And as far back as they can remember, they've tried to do good. They've, they've always been Christians all of their lives. You know, my, my wife, when we were in our 20s, she would probably say this, this was her story. She doesn't have a story like that. She doesn't, you know, as far as she's known, she's always known Jesus. She was raised in a Christian family. Like, she doesn't have some, some outrageous story to share. Now, being married to me and dating me for 34 years, that has changed. She has a testimony. But she share a whole lot with you. She is an overcomer. But there, there are those people that they were raised in a certain way, and they, they sometimes don't think that they have a story. I want to reaffirm to you, every single person sitting here this morning has a story. Now, our sins may not be the same, but outside of Christ, our righteousness is as filthy rags. And beyond our righteousness in Christ... His word says this, Matthew 7, 9 through 11, Jesus is speaking. He says, you parents, if your children ask for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? Or if they ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give good gifts to those who ask him? James 1, 17, whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God, our father. Everybody has a story. Your story is found somewhere in between my righteousness is as filthy rags outside of the blood of Jesus and that every good thing comes from my Father. Righteousness is as filthy rags and every good thing comes from my Father. In between is your story. Do you have any blessings in your life? Has God graced you with anything? I used to have this friend that I worked with years ago, Dave Smith's, and every now and then I'd walk into his office and I'd say, hey, hey, hey how's things going? And he'd say, Corey, same story all the time. He's an older guy. And he, he would have these same stories that he would tell me. He'd say, Corey, I woke up this morning and I opened the paper. First thing I do every day is I read the obituaries. If my name's not in there, it's a good day. Of course, I, we could pick on that statement, but the point is that we always have something to be thankful for, something that God has blessed us with, something we more than likely don't deserve, but by God's grace. And that's a story. Everybody has a story. My final point is your testimony is your victory. They overcame him by the word of their, their, their testimony. Their testimony is how they overcame. When you recognize that you have a story more than likely an amazing story, then you can use your own story. 
Listen to me. You use your own story to overcome the devil. You can use your own story to overcome temptations in life. You can use your own story to encourage yourself to to be able to face his accusations, to overcome the hurts and the challenges of life, and to overcome even your own doubts. What is going to encourage you? Your own story. Not a story that's minus God, but your testimony. Eric said over his past uh, couple years, five years, you know, sometimes he mixed the dates in there. I can tell you parts that we cut out. He's lost his mom and his dad in just the last couple of years. He's faced some losses, some extreme challenges, and the devil wants to continue to remind him of his past. When he was a little kid, you bounced from home to home to home to home. The devil wants to accuse him in that case of being a bad father, a bad Christian. But notice how he said at the end of the story, that he reminds himself of how far he's come, of what God has taken him out of, and how much God has brought him to. In other words, he tells himself the stories of when his tests and God's amazing grace have intersected. He said, if God could help me then, God can help me now. It's a story that encourages you, that refreshes you, that gives you the, faith, the, the strength to keep the faith, to keep the hope. It's a story that gives you the ability to keep on keeping on, knowing in a personal way that God will work it out. And you will overcome. Now let me add this real quick. A lot of times we think of a testimony as being for other people, and that's why I really wanted to drive this home. The testimony is first for you. I could give you scripture after scripture of how God's word says for his people to be reminded of his ways, of his goodness, of the stories of their past, how God would establish holidays based around the things that he had done for his people so that every single year they will celebrate his goodness and remember who he is in their life. It's for you. And sometimes there will be times in your life when you will come to a place where the only one who can encourage you to keep moving forward is you. Not that people won't try. You know, some of you are blessed to have a village around of you, around you, some, some not so much. Nevertheless, there are days when the number of people around you won't make the difference. The next step has to be you. I can tell you in my own life early on, I loved hearing people's testimonies. I still do to this day. When I meet somebody I don't know, one of the first things that I'll ask them is to share their story with me, who they are. I love to hear it. It's encouraging. I love my family, my spiritual family. But as I've grown in pastoring and in my faith over the years, at the same time, I've had this little bit of a battle. I don't know if it has to do with with my age or what, but sometimes I go through these little bouts of depression. Now, I remember years ago thinking, I don't understand people that have depression. Like, it just didn't make sense to me. I always felt like I'm an even keel kind of guy. That's who Corey is. Boom. You will not find me being down. You won't find me, you know, life is going to work out no matter what. Romans 8, 28 always been my life scripture. God works things all together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose, right? So I always just know, but over the last few years, I've noticed there are times in my life where I definitely feel like I've battled some depression in my life. And my wife can tell you there are times where I am down. And typically in those times, I know what I need to do because I counsel people to do it. But you don't feel like doing it. 
And I know to go to worship. I know to get in his word. I do those things. And then, you know, I'll pray. You know, Lord, just just help me through this. Help me get purpose again. I, I feel like I'm losing purpose. I feel like this. And there's just this, this fight and this battle. And, and sometimes it lasts longer, it seems like, over the years than, than when it first did. And without fail, when I'm going through a battle like that, there will be somebody that shoots me a text. Hey, pastor, just praying for you. I love you. I've had people throughout days, they'll Facebook message, they'll call me, uh, they'll say encouraging things, not even knowing. My own wife will come to me and she'll say, see, honey, do you see? Like, God knows. He, he sends people to encourage you. And my own wife is, is there, and she's there trying to encourage me with the encouragement of others. Like, babe, I know this, this is you. This is what you're called to. And I got to be honest with you, in those moments of people's words of encouragement and seeing how God's moved in people's lives to do that for me and my own wife standing next to me, in those moments at times, it means nothing. Yes, don't get me wrong, I'm thankful, very thankful that I have people that love me, that I have a wife that will stand beside me, but it does not encourage me. I don't say quit doing that, but in those deep moments, those dark moments, there comes a place in my life that I've learned the next step has to be Corey. There are times where I have to make a decision in my life. Okay, God, let's wrestle. No one else is going to be there to get me through this. I need you. And those are the times where I've had to push through and get to this place where I lean back on what God has done for me in my life. It's not the encouragement of others. It's not the person standing next to me that cheers me on, that's faithful by my side, my wife. The only thing that gets me there is for the Lord and I to have these moments and for me to be able to remember, God, I remember in the beginning. I remember who I was. And I remember when you began to change my heart. I remember that feeling of going to the altar at the United Church that freedom, just snotting that guy's vestibule all up. I remember years later in Promise Keepers, an altar call. And though I'd already surrendered my life, my life was not reflective of the reward that is available to overcomers. And I remember those moments of just surrendering once again, once again to God. Lord, I haven't, I haven't reflected you very well in my life. Lord, I want to do something for your kingdom. I want to be used for your purpose. I, I remember the words. I remember the feelings. I, I remember the dream that I had of someday leading a, a men's Bible study. I remember sharing it with my best friend who, who was riding home in a, in a van with me that day. I remember the times that prayers have been specifically answered, that we prayed, that there's no shadow of a doubt that anything could have happened the way it did without prayer and then that prayer being specifically answered. I remember learning the lesson of something as simple as, as tithing in church when, when I would put $20 in the plate and if my wife put anything more, I would get mad at her. And then as I'm growing in relationship and learning to give to the Lord and that the Lord will provide of times where we needed something and we gave what we had and we got back exactly what we gave or exactly what we needed. There's multiple times in my life that should not have happened, but for the grace of God, I can go through all of these times that will remind me not only is there a God, 
because at one time I questioned that, but that my God is not a God that doesn't care, but my God is a God of grace that knows what's best for me, and he took me from where I once was and brought me to where I stand in depression today, and that he will get me through this too. And sometimes that happens in a day, and sometimes it takes weeks. But nobody else can do it for me. It has to be personal. You have to learn. Listen to me. When everybody else in the world, including family members, will someday be going the other way. If you want to remain an overcomer, you have to learn to lean on the Lord for yourself. Not that your brothers and sisters in Christ aren't important. Not that your blood family isn't important. Not that we forsake the gathering of ourselves together. But there are just some days when it doesn't matter what everybody else says. You have to hear it from God for yourself. You have to remember his goodness and your story until you're able to see where your current situation, your current situation and his amazing grace are presently crossing paths. And then learn to rest in that goodness all over again. That becomes another story. Your story, your victory.